So we continue our sermon series, Hope Starts Today, and I'm reading this great book, and I encourage you to maybe read it also, um, um, as we're actually doing some small groups on it, um, Max Licata's book, Begin Again, uh, Your Hope and Renewal Starts Today. What a great book. And so uh, I'm using that kind of just as a segue for, uh, for messages and some um, kind of a, a springboard, and so we're going to focus on the second part of this uh, book today. Uh, before we get there, um, I want to share with you all, uh, hopefully the ushers this morning gave you this little prayer card. And so this is actually from my sermon last week. And I came up with this idea um, of actually taking the scripture lesson that I actually preached about when Jesus was actually in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then I gave you kind of some points for us to think about using Jesus's, uh, mo- Jesus's prayer, um, what we find in the Garden of Gethsemane as a model. And so we look at, we'll look at what Jesus did. He went to God first. He opened up his heart to God. And then he prayed specifically, uh, Lord, if there's any other way you can let this cup pass from me, please do. And so I thought this is a great opportunity for us. And so we're talking about revival this month. And I thought it would be wonderful if we just really, we were very intentional about our prayer life as we begin this brand new year and praying for our, our our lives, praying for our own personal lives, praying for revival in our life, praying for revival in our church, praying for revival in our community, praying for revival in our country, praying for revival in our world. Can I amen on that? I mean, what, I mean, this is this is a great opportunity as we launch into the brand new year, and so I'm hoping that you use this as just kind of a um, reminder that we're going to be very intentional about that. And so maybe you put it on your refrigerator, maybe you put it in your Bible, maybe you put it by your bedstand. Um, and so I would encourage you to do that. And matter of fact, I shared with the group last night. I said, you know, one the first thing is that we're really going to be intentional about following Jesus and His prayer model. It literally at the very first thing before you get out of bed. Actually, when you get out of bed, roll out of bed and actually get on your knees and use your bed as the altar. Now, I know some of y'all are going to say, well, Pastor, if I get on my knees, I'm not sure if I'll get up. Now, I know that. I know. I heard that last night. It's all good. So you figure that out. I just tell you, I, that's what I've been, I've been trying to be very intentional before I take my first step. And that's actually on this card. Before I take my first step and then launching into a brand new day, I pause and I pray. And I'm praying for revival. So I hope that you'll actually take that to heart. So um, my wife um, came to me, I think it was either Tuesday or Wednesday, and she, um, I, I was out doing other things, but she loves to watch the news, and so the 6.30 news, and so she was watching the news, and she saw the special report. And um, I don't know if you all realize, realize this, but there was, um, there was a major backup on I-75 up like in the Washington area, and you probably saw that, and it, literally people were stranded for like 24 hours. And she saw this, um, this little story, and she said, Harold, I really think you should watch this story. So here's the story. It's about a minute and a half. Here we go. And just in the nick of the time. I love that. Matter of fact, I did a little research, and the time my sermon today is called Release the Bread, because when she, um, when uh, Casey got the cell phone, and she literally went to the truck driver, and she walked up, knocked on the window, there he is in the middle, and she says, here's your boss, he wants to talk to you. <laughs> and so he said, release the bread. And they opened up the back tailgate, and they released the bread. And I thought this was really interesting. Um, the Schmidt... A bread company's mission statement is, is we create opportunities to break bread together. Wow. What a great mission statement. Um, and so immediately, you know what? When I, when I saw this story, I, my thoughts uh, uh, went to this particular piece of scripture. Um, so here are these words uh, from the 14th chapter of Matthew. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the time crowd... But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he 
Well, he had compassion for them, and he cured their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, Lord, this is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go to the villages and buy food for themselves. And then Jesus said to them, they need not to go anyway. You give them something to eat. And then they, re- they replied, well, how in the world, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And then he said, bring them to, to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. And he looked up to heaven and he blessed them and they broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and all of them ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over, the broken pieces of 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides the women and the children. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And you know, when I saw that story, I thought that was like a modern day loaves and fish story. When they doing, and I love this theme. This, that, think about this is that you know, our focus is about hope. And hope really, and here's our real theme today, hope comes in giving. Let me say that again. Hope really comes in giving. I was thinking about this this last weekend, um, and the idea of, you know, there are, I know, I, I can't imagine, but, you know, there you are, you're stuck, you're, and you're, you know, you have no gas because the gasoline's run out of your car, and you're stranded, and, you know, you haven't had anything to eat for 24 hours, and you, there's no way anywhere to go to the bathroom, and there you sit, right? And there's a sense of you're just tired, and you're just weary, and you're frustrated and maybe a bit angry and just impatient. I can't imagine myself in that car, right? <laughs> and so I love this. And this has been the theme. You heard it in the music today. You heard it in Mark's song. Um, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is all about giving. Jesus is a giver. Jesus is all about giving hope are weary. And, and I don't know about you all, and Alan just picked up on this on our prayer just a few minutes ago about, you know, once again, we've been at this COVID thing for almost, you know, two years, and I know that many of you all are getting tired, and we're getting weary, and it's just been this long, ongoing thing, and there's all these different things, and many of us lost, lost loved ones, and people that are neighbors, and it's just been a horrible, horrible, very, very difficult time. But yet Jesus tells us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is a giver, and he realizes that many of us are tired. One of the things in uh, Lakeda's book, he, he talked a little bit about, um, about like if I'm tired, if, and it's kind of a, kind of a, a funny thing. It, immediately when I read Lakeda's, uh, if uh, you might be tired, if list, it made me think about Jeff Foxworthy. Does he remember Jeff Foxworthy? And Jeff Foxworthy, you know, he's made a lot of money. He's a really funny comedian, but he has like, if you might be a redneck, if, like, so you might be a redneck if you have spent more on your pickup truck than on your education. Um, you might be a redneck if you've uh, actually uh, have a complete set of salad bowls and they all say cool whip on the side. Um, you might be a redneck if your lifetime goal is to own a fireworks stand. Uh, you might be a redneck if your working television sits on top of your non-working television set. Uh, you might be a redneck if you ever made change in the offering plate. Uh, you might be. But here's my favorite Jeff Foxworthy quote. You ready? You ready for this? I know God is real. Jeff Foxworthy. I went back and read. I, you know, I saw these little quotes. You know, I knew all this redneck stuff. And, I, you know, I, I'm coming from Kentucky. My father and I always got a kick out of that. But I, I didn't realize that. 
I, when I got to that one, that oh, okay, that's, that's pretty powerful. I know that God is real. So uh, Lakato came up with this, his own list. Uh, you might be tired and weary if... If you slip while taking a shower and you grab the water as if it, you could save you, uh, you might be tired if you thank the elevator as you walked out. You might be tired if you blew your ice cream, blew on your ice cream to cool it off. You might be tired if you entered your phone password on the microwave instead of the time duration to heat the pizza up. Uh, you might be tired if you text a friend, I can't talk now because I can't find my phone. Uh, you might be tired if you threw your laundry in the garbage and you tossed the empty chip bag in the laundry basket. Um, you might be tired if you spend several minutes at a stop sign waiting for it to turn green. <laughs> you might be tired. So I think we all get the idea of just being tired and weary. And yet we find that God is a hope. God is a God of hope. God is a, he's a giver. My father uh, shared this story. Actually, you know what? Um, my father, you know, I listened to hundreds of my father's sermons, but I remember this story he actually used 45 years ago, and he, it's the same story that was actually found in the book. And it's a story about this um, Europe, um, European immigrant who wanted to come to America and make a life for himself, and so he was going to come to America, um, the land of opportunity, and live the American dream, and send back for money to his family and actually come over. So this is the early 1900s, and he was coming on some kind of ocean liner, and he had saved up, and scrimped and saved enough money to buy his ticket. And, um, and so he got on the boat, and so he realized he didn't have enough money to actually buy food, so he actually brought, and all he had was cheese and crackers. And so, um, so that was a 12-day journey, but that's all he had. So um, each, you know, each night he would go up and see all the people in the stateroom, and they're all whining and dining, and they had all this wonderful food, and he was a little envious, and his stomach began to growl, and then he'd go back to the third-class cabin because that's all he could afford, and he would eat his hard cheese and his crackers. So he did this day in and day out for 12 days. So finally, at the very end of his journey, he actually went out um, and looked across the rail and looked at, as he came into the harbor in New York and saw the Statue of Liberty. And one of the, um, uh, one of the stewards actually came up to the gentleman and said, um, hey, you know, um, we were just curious. Why didn't you come to dinner? And he says, and he was kind of embarrassed. He said, well, I didn't have enough money to come to dinner. All I had was enough money to buy the ticket. And then this is what um, the steward says, you know, but sir, didn't you know that all three meals were covered in the price of your ticket? So we set you a place at the, at the table every single day and you never came. And then it started me, and I, I think this is a great question for us to think about. The question becomes, are we willing to take advantage of all the great gifts God is offering us? It's a great question. Or, or are we living beneath the privileges of the gifts that God has for us, and we're not taking advantage of them. I, you know, I've got a lot. Of, I've got several great gifts this Christmas, and um, but my favorite gift, my favorite gift, is this painting. And this um, this painting is um, of my children when they were little. Um, this is actually in Paint Lake, Kentucky, and they were just coming back from the creek, the crick. You call it the crick in Paint Lake. So they're coming back from the Paint Lake Creek and they were going across the bottom of the, my, my aunt and uncle's property and they're headed back up towards the house. And my daughter Olivia took the photo and um, I sent it to her. I said, Olivia, would you please paint this for, for me for Christmas? And so I opened this up for Christmas. It was the greatest Christmas gift I could receive from my daughter. Something I'll treasure forever. And you know what I love about this painting? 
my boys are headed back towards the house and guess what they're looking forward to? A good home-cooked meal. And that, you know what? Aunt Margie's food was just amazing. It was always a gift to sit at her table. So God is a, he's a giver. God is not a taker. God is the one who offers these, these wonderful abundance of gifts and we're so gracious. And, and that God continues to give us this great gift of hope, even though we're in the midst of, maybe some of us are struggling in life. Some of us feel a sense of misery and sometimes I mean a sense of hopelessness. I, I was thinking this week and, um, and, and Lakato talks about this and, and he talks about Job. And I guarantee you there's some people in this room who have actually felt like Job. There's no doubt. But yet, you know, what's interesting, if you get to the very end of the story of Job, and many, most of you know the story of Job, but there's this great line that Job finally gets it. And this is the line. Um, you have to go through 41 chapters. This is the 42nd chapter of the book of Job. And this is what you finally get. Job says, you know, I heard about you before, referring to God. You know, God, I've heard about you before, but now I know you, now I've seen you. Now, now that I know, after everything I've gone through in my life, now I know you're real. Wow, that's a great quote, isn't it? But you had to go through 41 chapters of misery before you get to the 42nd chapter. You know, I've, I've heard about you, God, but now I have seen you. Now I know that you're real. You know, let me just tell you a quick little story. Um, this is a story, and this is, I would call it, you know, just as I share with you all that little bread story, this is um, um, a modern-day Job story. My friend Barry, bless his heart, um, Barry is a great friend. I've known Barry for 25 years. And um, Barry, if I picked up the phone right now and I needed Barry, Barry would come. There's no doubt. He's been one of my, and he is, him and his wife Candy are just wonderful people, but they're, and they're just salt-of-the-earth Midwestern people from Ohio. And so um, what's interesting about Barry's life, and let me just can you give you a, a sketch, and I would say that Barry's a modern-day Job. And you think you got problems? Just hear the story. So when uh, Barry, you know, Barry had three kids and um, um, went, actually went through a bitter divorce. And it was very, very difficult. And then he remarried and married Candy. And um, they got a beautiful marriage and been um, very, very happy for the last, I don't know, maybe 30, 35 years. And so um, uh, he had three sons from his first marriage. And so um, one of his sons, uh, him and his wife, had um, a couple of beautiful children. And one of them uh, is stricken with a really rare disease. And he died. And so I lived through that. So not only did I live through baptizing that child, but I also buried that child. And matter of fact, there's still a, a little tree that's planted at the front entrance of the administrative office at Boynton Beach and at Faith United Methodist Church in that child's memory. So then um, what's also interesting is that the, the child's father, um, uh, Barry's son, one of his sons, um, actually ends up with this kind of rare form of cancer, and he almost dies. And so Barry goes to his bedside, and he's with him, and he, he's actually in remission, thanks be to God, but that was a horrific time, but he's on disability. And he has another son, bless his heart, and um, he was struggled with depression and anxiety, and um, he took his own life. And I know about that because I did the memorial service, I remember looking at Barry, and I know that he, I saw the brokenness in his heart because he loved his son so much. And I said, Barry, I want you to know something. It's the last thing I said in my memorial service for him. I said, I want you to know that you'll see your son again someday. And I really believe that Barry held on to hope to those words. Barry is one of those people who always sees the, half, sees the glass half full rather than half empty. So he lost his, one of his grandchildren. He almost lost one of his sons. He did lose one of his sons. To, and then also in, the, in 2008, uh, there was financial ruin in Barry's life. 
um, you know, he was in the construction industry, and in 2008, everything crashed. He lost everything. In the midst of all that, he had made a $1 million commitment to the building fund at, Newco, at, at Faith United Methodist, $1 million. Bucks. And, it, and he, he made a commitment. He actually told the church he would do that. And so what's interesting, he fulfilled that commitment. And what's very interesting, I had a conversation with Barry about two weeks ago, right after Christmas. And, this, and you know, he said, Harold, I am so blessed. I want you to know I'm so blessed. He said, but I want you to know, when I gave you that check and I saw the check, I held the check in my hand. I want you to know, he says, that was every penny that I had. He made that commitment. So he lost one of his sons to uh, uh, suicide. He almost lost one of his sons. And by the way, Barry got meningitis in the midst of all that. And he almost died. So, so I, I tell you that story today is at the end. And just, I just had this conversation with Barry just two weeks ago. He said, Harold, I just want you to know. I am so blessed. See, somehow in the midst of all that, Barry is like that modern day Job. He says, you know, I've heard about you, but now I have seen you. Even all that he's gone through in his life, he knows that God is real. And so what I think about in our lives, and maybe you've gone through your own calamities, and as I was reflecting upon this message this week, I'm thinking sometimes I I have my own aches and pains, and sometimes I start to go back and think about some of the things that might happen and some of the calamity that I've happened in my life, and I'm thinking, you know what, there's other people who have gone through a whole lot more than me. Can they meant on that? And it it puts it all in perspective. And what's very interesting, I bet you, and I bet you, maybe you've asked the same question, I don't know. But I, I bet you maybe at some point, maybe Barry asked the same question that Job asked the question. This is a question that Job finally asked. He says, you know, God, why exactly is this happening to me? What a great question. And, and you know what's inter- interesting? If you go back and read the book of Job, the 41 chapters prior to the point where Job says, you know, I've, I've heard about you, but now I've seen you. It takes 41 chapters to get to that point. I, I love God's response when Job asks that question. And this is what God says. Do you really understand how big the earth really is? Tell me if you really know all this. Where does the light come from? Where does darkness come from? Can you take them back into where you they belong? Do you know where, how to get there? Surely you know these things since you are so old and wise and you were alive when I made them, weren't you? This is God's comeback. And then Job finally comes back to God in this conversation. And this is what God, this is what Job says in the 40th chapter. He says, you know, I'm, Lord, I am so, I'm not worthy to speak. What can I say to you? I, I cannot answer you. I, I will put my hand over my mouth. I, I spoke once, but I will not speak in, again. I spoke twice, but I, not, I will not say anything more. I like Lakato's spin on this. He says, Job is like a peasant telling the king how to run his kingdom. Job is like a bat boy telling Babe Ruth how to hit. Job is the clay telling the potter how to mold. And you know what God comes up with? Here's another great line from God in the midst of this conversation going back and forth with Job. You know, He says, you know what, Job, I owe you nothing. I, I, I don't owe you anything. And what's very interesting, Locato makes this great point in this book. He says, you know what? God says, I don't owe you anything, but you know what? God is willing to give us everything. Hold on to that thought. He's given us everything that we need. And it's all wrapped up into this gift of salvation found in Jesus Christ. 
And, and so when I think about this, I love this. That, so finally, Job sees, sees God. Um, I, I shared this last week. I think I shared it in the contemporary service last week, but I didn't share this little story that was in, um, in Lakeda's book um, about this guy who was in the concentration camp in, in Nazi Germany. And, um, and can you imagine the frail hand um, who's emaciated and he carves out with a piece of glass on the wall in a Nazi prisoner camp that says this, I believe in the sun even though it doesn't shine. I believe in the love even when it isn't shown. I believe in God even when he doesn't speak. Wow. You know, I've heard about you, God, but now I've seen you. So you know what's great is that he finally sees hope in God. Job finally sees love in God, finally sees giving in God. He finally sees taking in God. He finally sees dreaming in God. He finally sees delivering in God. He finally sees God. I've heard about you, but I finally, I have seen you. And the greatest gift at the end of the story, when you get to the 42nd chapter of the book of Job, is that Job finally realizes that God has given him himself. He gets it. You know, it's very interesting. Um, there are two things that I, I believe when you think about what Jesus Christ has given us, okay? So two really important things. First thing I think that, God, that Christ has given to us is he's given us the gift of the church. Can we amen on that? Because when he died... Um, died, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven. But he left us with the church, and he made that very clear. He says, hey, Pete, upon, upon you, the rock, I'm gonna build you, I'm, we're gonna build my church. It's not, it's not my church, it's not your church. It is Jesus Christ's church, and we have the privilege to be a part of that. We are the church. And so we have that. So Jesus has left us the gift of the church, but he also has given us this wonderful gift that we call the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so there's this great piece of scripture from the book of Paul. He says this, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised of the Holy Spirit. I love that. And this last week, um, Dr. Jim Steinmeier, who's, um, him and his wife just moved to, our, our congr- uh, to the villages about a month or so ago, and he gave the devotion at Men's Prayer Breakfast, and he talked about his little son. His name is um, um, Samuel, and um, they called him Sammy. And uh, Samuel had some learning disabilities and um, uh, some um, mental um, uh, um, deficiencies, and it was very difficult for him. And um, so... Um, he loved going to church. And as, um, as Dr. Jim put it, his son would go to church and they would, um, he would preach and they would sing songs. And so one of his favorite songs, they were singing, Standing on the Promises. As a matter of fact, Jim gave his devotion and he talked about how there were 7,000 promises in the book of, in the Bible. 7,000 promises. And one of the promises that we have that we find through the gift of the Holy, we have the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Samuel, or they called him Sammy, he says, one day after they had gone to church, Sammy came home and he was singing, standing on the promises, but he changed the word from I'm standing on the promises that he says, Sammy is standing or Sammy is on the promises of God. So instead of taking I'm, he put his name in there. Sammy is on the promises of God. Or standing on the promises of God. 
I mean, that's a great idea, isn't it? You put your name in that song, and we are all, we're, we're standing. We're not just standing. We are on the promises of God. And what we find, the promises that we give in this beautiful, with this text we find in the gift of the Holy Spirit, that, that, we're, that we are sealed. I love that, that feel that we're on it, but that we're sealed through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I love this quote from Lakato. He says, you know, the Holy Spirit is invisible, invisible invisibly yet indispensably serves as a rudder for the ship of your soul keeping you afloat and on track and so i love this 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 quote but i also love the imagery that we find the word sealed that we're sealed through the gift of the holy spirit so let me what's what's the when it when you seal something what does a seal do it secures and protects right so, for example, I have a few examples. So, like, if you have, uh, you're sending something by mail, you take the envelope out, you lick it, or you take the little, seal, the, the little strip off and you seal it, right? So, it protects whatever's in the envelope. So, that's sealed. Or um, if you have preserves, like, for example, my Aunt Margie used to always have these preserves. And so, we would, I would literally watch her take these ball mason jars, right? Or, and they would, she would boil them, and then she would put the, the, tom- the tomatoes, actually, they would, in paint lick, they're called maters. And so, she put the maters in them and she'd heat the jars and then she would take it and she, there would be like this little rubber casing and she would pop the tops on and then she would take them down this, into the root cellar and she would seal it, right? And so we, we would have that or the idea of the, uh, if you have wine, you put a cork in it in order to seal it so the oxygen doesn't get into it. By the way, I want you to know this wine is actually um, came from my friend Barry. He gave it to me just before Christmas. He actually sent some wine to me. And the reason why I think it's special is because, you know, Barry lost everything. But Barry is always, once again, able to kind of reinvent himself and start over again. And that's one of the themes in Okada's book about starting over again, over again. So Barry owns a wine company now. Not only does he own a wine company, he owns a wine company. It's actually connected with the country, not Atlanta, Georgia, but Georgia. And he shared with me, he shared with me about just before Christmas, he had gone, flown to Georgia, and he had met many of the dignitaries in Georgia because he's doing a lot of business there. And he had raised a bunch of money here in the States to take back for wounded warriors, not only for here in America, but also the wounded warriors in Georgia. And he presented this check to the, uh, the, the dignitaries, and he said, Harold, you wouldn't believe it. Here I am, just a good old country boy. And on my left-hand side, there's the prime minister of Georgia. On the right-hand side is the ambassador of the United States of America Georgia. And so, you know, I think about the idea of sealing, sealing. And where else did we find the word seal? Okay, so we find this piece of scripture. Pilate said, take some soldiers and go guard the tomb the best way you know. So they went to the tomb and made it safe from their thieves. They did this by sealing the stone in the entrance and putting soldiers there to guard it. And what's interesting, I did not know this. I learned something, so let me teach for a second. You realize that, I, that the, the Roman government actually took a seal, which they believe was probably some kind of band or some kind of ribbon or some kind of rope, and they attached it across the, the, uh, uh, the tomb of Jesus Christ because they were afraid the disciples were going to sneak in the middle of the night and steal it and be able to uh, um, kind of falsify the whole thing that Jesus and made it, make it sound like he actually had been resurrected. So they sealed the tomb with this ribbon, and they put wax seals on the end so nobody could break the seal and that's a little interpretation when we find this in the book of Matthew they had sealed the seal and and so what what would have probably read on the ribbon it would have said something like this the contents in this tomb belong to Rome so back off little did the Roman Empire realize that two little wax seals could not hold Jesus Christ can we been on that and that's the point 
God, Jesus Christ has given us this wonderful gift, a gift for the church, but he's also signed and sealed the gift of the Holy Spirit for all of us. And it's a, he's, he's, he's a protector. I, I love that image that, that, that the, the gift of the Holy Spirit is not only the presence of the Holy Spirit is with us, but he's also the protector of us. I, I love this. Uh, let me tell you a quick story and I'll wrap this up. So there's this, in this book, he talks about, um, Lakato talks about his friend Billy Fry. Billy Fry was um, a professor at the University of Colorado. And so one day, um, Billy met this freshman. He was either a freshman or sophomore. And this young kid, he came in and he was blind. And he, um, and so um, obviously he had some disabilities. He was trying to, um, you know, had to uh, figure out how to, uh, to be able to navigate all that. And, um, and so he asked, Billy Fry asked, his, his, him being the professor, asked this kid, so have you been blind your whole life? And the kid says, no, I had an accident when I was a teenager. And so he asked him what happened. He explained to him how, how this accident happened. He says, he says and, um, and he says, I was really angry. He said, and what just took Billy Fry a little back because he said that, um, he says, you don't seem angry now. He said, how did you get over your anger? He said, because of my dad. He said, well, what did your dad do? He says, well, one day um, I was so angry and I was so bitter about losing my eyesight and I felt like an invalid. I, I really couldn't function. I didn't really know what to do and I just kind of shut myself off from the whole world and I was just going to live in my room for the rest of my life and just leave me alone and I was so angry. And so my father finally got enough of that, and he finally said to me, he says, John, he says, I want you to know something. I'm about to leave. He says, winter's coming, and I want you, I expect you by the end of the day to go out to the garage, and I want you to go find all the storm shutters, and I want you to put all the storm shutters on the house. And he slammed the door, and he walked out. He says, man, I was so mad at my dad. I was spitting nails. I couldn't believe that my father would leave me, and I would be left at home alone all by myself. Here I am, blind. And I, I really didn't know what to do. But he finally says, you know what? I got up. I went across the yard. I went out to the garage and I found the storm shutters. I dragged them across the yard and I began to kind of grope around and be able to find all this. And I began to put all the storm shutters up. He said, by the end of the day, I had them all done. My father came home and I turned to my dad and I said, dad, I did exactly what you did. He said, little did I realize that that whole time I was putting up the storm shutters, that my father was no more than that far away from me the whole time. Three feet. My father was no more than three feet away from me. I love that imagery that God is this great God of, well, he's given us his gift of the church, but he's also given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, his presence is with us. He continues to walk with us. He continues to protect us. He continues, once again, Jesus Christ is the giver of life and hope for all of us. So I'll close with this thought. You know, not only is he the gift of the presence of God of Christ uh, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, not only is Christ a protector, but there's this profound gift of love. And I, I shared with you, let me just close with this, this little thought about the idea of may your roots go down deep into the soul of God's marvelous love and may you be able to feel and understand as all God's children should how long and how wide, how deep, how long, high his love really is. And to experience this love for yourself through it is so great, so great that you will never see the end of it and, or fully know or understand it. And so at least you will be filled up with God himself. The Apostle Paul, Ephesians. How deep... God's love for us. 
So I have this last little picture today. And so here's a picture of some crosses. And repeat the next picture with something else. Here's a picture of the crosses. And um, this picture is actually, I took it in the Holy Land several years ago. And I love these. These are crosses that were actually dragged to the Villa, through the Villa Della Rosa, the path of sorrows. This is, these are actual crosses. And if you look at the edge of the crosses, how they're worn, it's because they're dragged across the pebble streets. And, and when I saw that image this last week, I had this just thought. I thought, you know, here, I, t- I don't know why. It, just, it was just kind of intriguing that when I, th- so this is the holiest church in the world, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's in the holiest city in the world. It's in the holy place of the world, Jerusalem. And so here are these crosses and they're propped up against the church. And then I had this thought, this epiphany this week. And I thought, you know what's interesting about that? Maybe Harold, you got it all wrong. The, church, the crosses are actually not propped up against the church. The church is actually propped up against the cross. It's a different way of thinking, isn't it? And so I started thinking, who drags the crosses? Who drags the crosses through the streets of the Via Della Rosa? People who realize that Jesus Christ is the bread of life. People who realize that Jesus Christ is willing to actually feast on the bread of life and not settle for cheese and crackers. Lord Jesus, we're grateful for the day you've given to us and for your love. And we ask, oh God, that you fill us with your unconditional love that runs deep in our souls. And we're grateful for that even midst of all the calamity that we've experienced over the last couple of years with COVID and many people are just struggling, we continue to cling to the hope that we find in you. Lord, there are people in this room who have been felt like Job. Well, you know, Lord, I, I have heard about you, but now I have seen you. And my hope and my prayer for us as we continue to make our way through this year that we continue to cling to you, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, and there is always hope in you. In Jesus Christ we pray, and all of God's children said, Amen.